Linda Dillon. Okay, and have any has any of them delegated their vote to anybody? Linda has delegated her vote to you. Okay. Okay, well that's far enough. So listen again, um apologies folks. I got stuck in traffic and then when I eventually got here, my computer's playing up so I'm on my phone, Emer. It's just in case anybody's trying to get through, I can't see them. Okay. Um so um just to remind everybody that um as usual, uh if people want to indicate if they want to come and speak, um either if I can see you raise your hand or or get get emer. Um so now we've got apologies from Linda and Jerry. Our draft minutes of the twenty third of June are page five of our meeting pack. Are members content to, to agree those minutes? Agree. Agreed, yeah. Okay, so um the debate on the committee's draft motions to amend standing orders in relation to member statements is scheduled for Monday the fifth of July. And as usual, but just you know, members of this committee will be encouraged to contribute to that debate. Um, as with most motions, it's for ninety minutes, so it's ten minutes to move and ten minutes to wind. Um, so it's just let people know. So the statement of entitlements for an official opposition, we're going to receive the briefing um, from Trevor Rainey, and just to remind us all that Trevor previously briefed our committee on his review of the statement of entitlements for an official opposition. Um, and just is coming back to, to today to discuss any further implications. Um, so page 12 of our meeting packs is a cover note for Emer, and in our tabled items is a letter from the ARC clerk, the report on the independent review um, and the slides provided by Trevor um, is here for today's briefing. So Trevor, without further ado, do you want to give your briefing to the committee? Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Chair, and uh, good afternoon, uh, members. It's a pleasure to be with you again. Uh, I think, uh, Emer, you kindly have uh, my presentation set up to be shown on uh, screen. Uh, that's great. Thank, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Chair and members, uh, I spoke to you uh, a few weeks ago about the review, and uh, the review has now concluded, and yesterday I presented the final report to uh, ARC committee, and they, as part of their work, will be inviting uh, the procedures committee and also the assembly commission to input to their consideration of the report. So, what I wanted to do today, uh, and I appreciate, Chair, you haven't had much time to look at the report uh, if you've only received it uh, late yesterday, but I wanted to give you an overview of the report, uh, particularly the findings uh, and conclusions of the review and also the recommendations which relate particularly to the work of Procedures Committee or are uh, allied to it. So, Emer, if you move to the uh, next slide, please. Emer, can you move to the next slide? Looks like we're all having technical difficulties today. <laughs> well, per perhaps while Emer tries to solve the problems with my presentation, I'll, I'll keep on talking, uh, Chair, if, if that would work. 
Um, uh, just to remind members that the, the background to the review was in the NDNA agreement, and as part of that, there was a review of the entitlements for the official opposition to be provided, and then from that, uh, recommendations, particularly around uh, improvements to the financial provision for the official opposition. When you've had an opportunity to look through the report, you will see that there is some background work done in relation to identifying the role of an official opposition, identifying types of methods and tools that an official opposition has to exercise its function. And broadly, the role of the official opposition is to scrutinise the government of the day and to provide alternatives both in terms of government and policies uh, for public service. We go to that's the next slide, slide three. Thank you. You will see there, members, the, there's 13 parts of the report. And when you've had an opportunity to read that, you hopefully will see the flow through the research, the consultation that was undertaken with all the parties and independent members in the assembly, and benchmarking work that was done against uh, parliamentary institutions internationally, but primarily across the UK and Ireland, which were seen to be the, the most relevant for this review. And if you look to the next slide, Emer, please, the outcome of all of the work in relation to the consultation, the research, the benchmarking, took me to these findings and conclusions. And I'll run through these briefly because they set the scene then for the recommendations that I have made. In respect of the procedural entitlements which are of most interest to the, this committee, I'm taking together the existing statement of entitlements along with the provisions of the 2016 Act. Uh, and I view they provide uh, a sound basis for the work of an official opposition. I've made recommendations on a couple of points to enhance those or strengthen those arrangements, and I'll take you through those in a, a few moments. And in respect of the resource entitlements or the finance or financial support for an official opposition, in my view, those are inadequate and uh, relative to what's needed by an official opposition and relative to what's provided in other institutions. And I've made recommendations for their enhancement. And I've also made two other recommendations which are related to the entitlements and which will be of interest to uh, this committee. Firstly, around the potential for the formation of political or technical groups within the Assembly. And secondly, around having more robust arrangements to ensure adequate access to information from the executive, from ministers and from the departments for the work of the official uh, opposition, indeed the wider work of the Assembly. So those are the, the broad conclusions. And Chair, I'll take you through the recommendations, focusing on those which are of most interest to uh, this committee. So if you could move to the next slide. Okay. Recommendation Sorry, I heard some interruptions. Okay. People on mute, please. Okay. Thank you, Chair. Recommendation one uh, deals with just a, a principle which I have adopted as I have looked at the review, and I think it, there's merit in the Assembly adopting this principle to underpin consideration of the entitlements. 
and that is that the resources, profile and status provided for the official opposition should not of themselves be an incentive or a disincentive to opt for official opposition. So in other words, that the, the resources, the entitlements in terms of speaking rights and, and so on, would not be so generous as to of themselves be an incentive to opt for official opposition. But on the other hand, they should not be so limited as to be a disincentive for a party to opt for official opposition if that was, from a political point of view, what they were choosing to do. And that balance is what I've sought to adopt as I've gone through the uh, rest of the report and made my recommendations. The second recommendation is around the entitlements to the official opposition being clearly codified so that they uh, can avoid misinterpretations, contention or dispute in their implementation. And there have been examples in other institutions where entitlements are in uh, perhaps gentlemen's agreements or in conventions, which don't carry any weight if they are challenged. So I believe it would be appropriate to codify them. And many of those are appropriately codified in standing orders of the assembly. And the third point that I'm making, or the third recommendation under these general uh, group is around reviewing the operation of any entitlements that are in, uh, in place. When I was looking at the research and consultation phase, there was only a very short period of time when an official opposition was actually operating, you know, six or nine months, and that's not really long enough for a, a full assessment of the impact of those entitlements. So I'm recommending that after two years, I'm saying, we're suggesting that there would be a review to look back over those two years and see how effective or otherwise the entitlements have been. Next slide, Emer, please. And then recommendation number four again relates to how uh, an official opposition, which comprises of more than one party, might operate, and that is possible under uh, these uh, entitlements and under the 2016 Act, that the parties involved should develop and publish operating procedures for how their grouping will work, and particularly in relation to the business of the Assembly, so that the Speaker's office, the business office, and so on, would know how speaking uh, rights and, and speaking entitlements were being operated and so on. And I think it's important that such arrangements are in place at the beginning of uh, the operation of an official opposition, and indeed that they would be a condition of the accessing funding under the FAP scheme. And then fifthly, and again, this is something of importance for this committee, and that is my view that the standing orders needed for these recommendations, and indeed all of the recommendations should be implemented in a timely manner, and ideally be in place before the end of the current assembly mandate. So that's a grouping of five general recommendations, and I want to move on to, to ones that are specifically on the procedural aspect of the entitlements. And recommendation six is looking at some of the existing speaking rights uh, under the existing statement of entitlements around question time, uh, priority of uh, speaking in terms of executive business, ministerial statements, matters of the day, and opposition debates. And I consider these to be reasonable and that they should continue. One point I would make just in passing is around matters of the day, uh, where the leader of the official opposition would have the first question after the, or the first 
contribution after the member raising the matter. There's a little contradiction there in that matters of the day are not uh, designed to be on executive or government business, and therefore there might be a question as to whether uh, the opposition is needed to contribute to that debate if it's not specifically on executive business. But I didn't think it was a significant enough point to make any recommendations. Overall, those provisions, I think, are sound and should continue. Recommendation 7 is an additional uh, point in relation to question time, and that is that the uh, official opposition should have the first question to each minister under the oral table questions. Uh, that will be the case uh, for each minister so that the uh, leader of the opposition or whoever is designated by the leader of the opposition would ask that first question. And questioning like that is common in other parliamentary institutions and I think would strengthen the official opposition's role. Next slide, please, Emer. And then recommendation eight deals with the 2016 Act. And I've said in my conclusions that the statement of entitlements, along with the 2016 Act, provide a sound basis. And there are a number of elements within the uh, 2016 uh, Act which require standing orders to be made. And it would be my recommendation that we would proceed, or the Assembly would proceed to move and uh, implement uh, those recommendations and those standing orders. I think it's fair to say that between the 2016 Act and the Statement of Entitlements, there are many similarities. There are a few significant differences. For example, the 2016 Act requires that the Chair of the Public Accounts Committee uh, would be from the opposition, and that is a, a situation which is common in all other parliamentary institutions. And while it's not in the current statement of entitlements taken together with the 2016 Act, I think, for example, that would be a, a very useful uh, way of strengthening the uh, official opposition and its role. Next slide, Eva, please. And then question or recommendation nine, it, it links really with recommendation four. And it's really about uh, ensuring that uh, where there's more than one party in an official opposition, that they adopt the principle that's within the current statement of entitlements of sharing the uh, speaking rights on the basis of party strength. And I think that is, is worthy of continuing. And then it would link into recommendation four and having operating procedures written down and published. Next slide, Emer. And then in relation to committees, I'm making a, a recommendation, one which probably would only be applicable in very limited circumstances, and that is that the official opposition would have the opportunity to be represented in all statutory committees. It's technically possible that the size of the official opposition might enable a party to be qualifying for official opposition status, but not large enough to have a representative on every committee, or indeed if the number of statutory committees would change in the future for any reason, I think this principle is uh, worthy of putting in place. And then recommendation 11 relates to political or technical groups. And in three of the four comparator parliaments that I've identified within the report, there are provisions to recognise political or technical groups. 
that in those parliamentary institutions is seen to be part of strengthening the scrutiny of government, strengthening the operation of the parliament. And I think that's worthy of further consideration in developing uh, thinking around that. I think there are some challenges in developing that, but I think it is worthy of consideration and further exploration of those examples in the other parliaments which are referred to in the report. Next slide, Emer. I'll not dwell on these, Chair, but you will see in the report recommendations 12 to 17 relate to the FAP scheme or the Financial Assistance to Political Parties scheme. Members will be able to read that and see the recommendations there, which are largely around increasing and enhancing the financial assistance to opposition parties and some conditions of use and fund of the funding and how that operates in practice. These are matters for the Assembly Commission. Happy to take questions on them, but I'll not delay the committee today in talking about uh, those matters. If I go to the final recommendation, which is around access to information, and this was something that came up quite strongly in the consultation with parties and independent members, the difficulty of receiving information and having sufficient information and briefings to enable the uh, official opposition or indeed the assembly more generally to uh, challenge and to question and to scrutinize the work of uh, government. There are quoted in my report a couple of examples where, uh, for example, in Westminster, there's a cabinet office protocol about sharing information with the uh, opposition and I've referred to that in the report. Whether through protocols or indeed standing orders or legislation or a combination of these, I think there's merit in exploring and adopting a more robust approach to uh, the provision of information from ministers and departments to the Assembly and in particular in, in this report, the official uh, opposition. Chair, that is a very quick run through the report and its recommendations. Now, again, I appreciate members have not had time to study the report, uh, but hopefully that gives you a flavour of the report and the recommendations which I've made to AARC. And I'm happy, Chair, to clarify anything or to take any questions at this stage. Thank you. Thank you, Trevor. Um, uh, I mean, it is a very detailed briefing. Um, and before going to ask any members that have questions, I just want to um, remind people that there's a lot of information on this. So um, if we could just be careful, make sure that it's not, um, you know, forwarded or passed around um, because it's yet to be developed. Um, so, uh, do members have any questions? Not yet, Trevor, but yeah, I don't... Please. Who, who is it? William? Yeah, go ahead. Trevor, um, in the caption that you showed, findings and conclusions, yes. we, we talked about political and technical groups. Yeah. Can you... Can you put some meat on the bones? What does that mean, really, if you're comparing it to Westminster, for example? Yeah, I, I mentioned that three of the four comparative uh, par parliaments that I used for comparison, which were Westminster, House of Commons, the Doyle in Dublin, and the Scottish and Welsh parliaments. So those were the four primary comparators. Three of them recognise technical groups or political groups. Westminster doesn't. 
but the Doyle, uh, Scotland and Wales, and, and looking at an evolved institution, Scotland and Wales perhaps are the, the closest comparators, and they do recognise the formation of political groups. The Doyle recognises technical groups, uh, as they describe them there. Each parliament has slightly different criteria in terms of the number of uh, members that can comprise a, a political or technical group. And they have slightly varying entitlements that they uh, give to those groupings. Uh, I think in that regard, I have not made a specific recommendation that the Assembly move to this. What I've recommended is that it be explored further, because I think there's value in it, but there are certain challenges with it, and you would have to look carefully at how it might work within the context of the Northern Ireland Assembly. But those three institutions provide good models for further work and further consideration. And I think uh, what I have seen in those parliaments indicates that they have been a useful tool within the parliamentary institution, developing and strengthening its activities and its scrutiny of government. So recommendation to further explore rather than a recommendation to move straight to that uh, particular option. What does that mean in real terms? I mean, when you talk about Scotland, Wales, and the Republic of Ireland, and political groups, what is a political group in the the context of those three uh, administrations? Uh, And you'll see in the report, when you look at at the detail of it, there's certain threshold. uh, For example, five members is often used as the threshold. So uh, two parties or a party and a number of independents who come together formally into a grouping that reaches a threshold, say five members, would then uh, be in those uh, parliaments recognised as a group. In one parliament, for example, that grouping then would have a seat on the business committee uh, and certain priorities and uh, allocated speaking rights. So those are uh, provisions in those places. In the Northern Ireland context, and this is where uh, further work would need to be done if this was to be taken forward, If you're looking at the official opposition, a technical group or a political group that would be recognised as official opposition would have to reach the thresholds within the Northern Ireland Assembly. So there are two thresholds in the mix. One is a party which declines ministerial uh, position. That would not be relevant to a political or technical group. But the provision in the 2016 Act of of 8% of the members of the Assembly is a threshold. Now, that would work currently at seven point something, eight members. So a grouping of eight members, be they from two political parties or a political party and two independents or whatever mix, coming together would then cross the threshold of recognition as part of the official opposition. That's the threshold that you, you would look at here in the Assembly. So I'm not making a recommendation that that be done. I'm recommending uh, making a recommendation that that be explored further and look as how it could be constructed within the Northern Ireland Assembly context and the pros and cons of that. But sufficient from what I've seen in other places that it merits, in my view, further consideration. Okay, thank you. Trevor, are you done, William? Uh, just one quick more one, please. Yeah. Um, so, Trevor, in terms of what is the difference then between those three um institutions and what you've described as political and the House of Commons where you've described them as technical, what's the difference? Are they essentially the same thing but just with different names or what is, is there a tangible difference? 
Now, in essence, there's no difference. It's just difference of terminology. Right. In, in the Doyle, they call them technical groups. In the Scottish Parliament and the Welsh Assembly, or the Welsh Parliament as it now is, they're called political groups. But in essence, it's a group of members that meet certain criteria. Okay, thank you. Okay, Sinead, um, would you like to come in? Sorry, just one quick question. My computer's slow to respond here. Um, Trevor, I just wondered, in, in your recommendations, uh, the piece about information and timely access to information interests me particularly. And um, I know there that you referred to protocols and you know exploring the possibilities of maybe pinning this down into Staten Orders. But I wondered, had you given any thought to question time because that is question time is one of the key moments where people do have an opportunity to maybe access or get try to get access to information and i'm wondering then in the in the situation where there may be one more than one party that forms the official opposition i think you're recommending that they get the first question yeah at question time and I'm just wondering if it was more than one party, and given that that tool is so precious in accessing information, had you considered that they would get perhaps maybe the second question also, um, just so both parties would have an opportunity? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's very difficult to uh, foresee all the scenarios that there might be in terms of the official opposition, because it could comprise of three parties or in the future as well. So it's difficult to uh, sort of cover, uh, cover every scenario and equally so to do that in standing orders. I think what you'll find in the statement of entitlements currently is that the first supplementary for the first three questions is for the uh, official opposition. What I'm recommending is that the first question should be to the for the official opposition, and then taking those two provisions together, the second and third sub questions, the first supplementary would be from the official opposition. I, I think the the issue of more than one party means that they have to work out their way of sharing how they have their speaking rights, and that's part of the other recommendations. So I think I am content. The first question from the official opposition would be sufficient. And it may be if there are two parties, they have to alternate it, or if they're, you know, the scale is different, they might work up an arrangement of two out of three for one party, one out of three for a, that. But that would be for them to work out a proportional approach depending on their size. Okay, Sinead. Thank you. Thanks, Trevor. Okay. No bother. Is there anyone else indicate they want to speak? Joanne has her hand raised. Okay, go ahead, Joanne. Yes, please, Charles. Yeah, go ahead, Joanne. Yeah, I'm almost on mute, so. Sorry for the disruption, Chair. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're, there's a bit of a lag. Chairman? Joanne. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. I'm sorry for the I'm having real trouble at the back of the building connecting. Um, my question is with regard to like, follows up and speaking in general. Because when we're all here, we're all here as individual members also. And already the procedures to some extent disadvantage ventures from 
for parties. So it's just to understand um, in what way, Trevor, you can balance affording the opposition time, but also ensuring that those members who sit on the back benches and the parties are also afforded an opportunity uh, on the to ask questions and, and contribute to debates and so on. How are you going to ensure the, the right balance is struck? Joanne, you, you, you broke up there quite a lot. I don't know if Trevor, you got all that. I, I think, Chair, I, I caught enough perhaps to answer the question, which is really about the balance between the official opposition and the, the work of a puncher on the executive yeah. side. Um, Sorry, Joanne, was that, was that the question you were asking? I think it was, Trevor. I just want to make sure. I think there's a thumbs up there, so we'll take that uh, as being there. Yeah, I mean, what's recommended here and what's in the Statement of Entitlements and the 2016 Act are tweaks to the existing system of the haunt allocation or proportional allocation of speaking rights uh, within the Assembly. And obviously within that, the executive parties obviously have their to haunt a proportional allocation and receive the opportunity for their backbenchers to contribute to debates and ask questions in that, in that way. So I think what's proposed here is at a level which leaves the position of backbenchers on executive uh, parties or government parties with a, still a significant opportunity to contribute. So I think the balance and what's there and what I'm recommending is about right on that. But there is, and I've commented in the report, there is a very much a, an opposition in inverted commas rule by the backbenchers and scrutinising particularly other parties within a five-party mandatory coalition. So that is not, I hope, diminished in this, but I recognise that in the report as well. Joanne, does that cover your question? It does. Chairman, thanks. I disagree to some extent because um, already the way things work out, there's considerable time afforded to those in much smaller parties uh, that, that detrimentally affects those in the larger parties. Uh, so I'm not clear if the balance is right as it currently sits. Yeah. So to take that forward, and then I think it's going to create backbenches in the larger parties in, in an even worse position. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, I, I think it's one of those where we're going to have to um, just take this out as we go along, and it'll be in Trevor's further recommendations. Amor, is there anyone else? There's no other hands raised at present, Carl. Okay. Um, Trevor, on behalf of the committee, I just want to thank you. I just want to remind people again that Trevor's report does contain a lot of personal information that hasn't been redacted yet. Um, but when it is redacted, and I think, Emer, a redacted copy of the report needs to come. I'm not sure what needs to be redacted, so I want to have a discussion about that. Um, because at the end of the day, uh, you know, I don't see any Data Protection Act breaches, but um, I'll, I'll let you come forward with a draft redacted report um, and then we'll take it to the committee. So, Trevor, thank you again, and we look forward to further development of this work. Great. Well, thank you, Chair. Thank you, members, and I wish you well with your deliberations. Uh, thank you very much. I hope you have a good summer. Yeah, you too, Trevor. Thank you. Thank you now. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, so um, ministers, elections and petitions of concern.
Bill um, Emer's paper, and you'll be aware um, that this has been this is currently going through Westminster Parliament, and the bill aims to implement aspects of NDNA which relate to, for example, reforms to the sustainability of devolved institutions, also the reform of the petition and concern mechanism, and also updating the ministerial code of conduct. And as accepted matters, none of these aspects of NDNA can be legislated for within the Assembly, so do require legislation at Westminster. So just by way of update, the bill is currently a committee stage. And once it's gone through its Lord stage and its final stages, there will inevitably be a number of actions for our committee in relation to any standing orders which will look, the committee will undoubtedly need the action before the end of this mandate. Um, and at page 25 of our PACs, Amers provided a memo which provides further information on each, each aspect of the bill. So do any members have any questions at this stage? No, Amer? No hands raised, Carl. Okay. So, I mean, there's a lot of information in, in Emer's memo anyhow. Um, so an update on the progress of the bill and the next steps will be brought by Emer to an early meeting of our committee in the autumn. Um, so we just content to note um, and update the memo accordingly. Agreed? Great. Okay, Great. thank you very much. Um, there's there's no items of correspondence on our forward work programme. I just want to refer you to the draft forward work programme at page 61 of our PACs. So again, just in keeping with everything else, we just content to agree our forward work programme. Is that agreed? Agreed. Agreed, yeah. Okay. Okay, so we're moving into the recess period and we may still receive freedom of information requests which should be responded to within 20 working days. So I just want to ask if the committee is content for myself and Tom to enable either both, either or both of available or one in the absence of the other to consider uh, non-routine or contentious FOI. Um, but either way, whatever the FOI request is, as long as it's done within 20 days, so can, are people content that Tom and I deal with those in absence of the committee in recess? Yes, content. Thank you. Um, I don't have any other items of any other business. Do, does anyone else have any? No. Um, so it was remiss of me at the start because of just having huge technical problems. So I want to welcome William and Joanne to the committee. Emer, is anyone else here? Because I can't see on the screen. Um, in the meeting currently, there's yourself, Rosemary, William, Nicola, Sinead, Tom and Joanne. Yes, but it was, it was really William and Joanne as new members of the committee. I just wanted to say a welcome to them. Um, so the time and date, so I'm assuming there's no other members have any issues you want to raise under? No? Okay. 
under AOB. So the date and the time for the next meeting is Wednesday, the 15th of September at 2.30. Um, so just one wish us all well, enjoy your summer and continue to stay safe. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Thanks, Jeff. Committee room 29.